0: ...and Hastings to be with us, and uh, aren't they cute? To lose them. Can you see them? I like to see them real good here, so... Well, oh, there they are. It's a little better. <clears throat> no, these guys are coming. Uh, I want you to be praying. When you're praying and they come to mind, pray for them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week, I believe, is how the schedule set. They're going to run on down here and house shop on one day. And Shannon has the faith for this. Rob does not have the faith for this. <laughs> Shannon has the faith for this. He's, he said, it's going to take longer than one day. She said, no, the Lord's going to... I said, hallelujah. I'm believing and agreeing with her. I said, seeing how it's going to be that easy, let's just make it the first house in the morning, have the rest of the day off. Anyway, they're uh, going to come down and house shop this week and try and secure, and then uh, they'll be moving down in the week of Labor Day. Uh, just ahead of Labor Day during that week, and we'll be looking to get a crew to help them unload their truck probably on Thursday of that week if everything goes according to plan. If not, it'll be Saturday. And so, that uh, when we handed that little folder out weeks ago, when it looks like this, in it it says we're going to have a an after church potluck, welcome type uh, celebration with them on May or August 30. We're going to shoot that over to September 13th. Okay, so you going to jot that down? September the 13th, Sunday. Uh, we could do it on Labor Day, but yeah, it's on, I thought that was significant, really. It's on Sarah's birthday. Uh, Sarah's a Hastings, too. <laughs> this whole church is related. <laughs> uh, so September the 13th, we'll celebrate. I didn't want to try and do it on Labor Day weekend because, you know, that's three days. And one, one of two things happens in church here is that everybody's either here or lots of us are gone. On those three days. And and looking today, you can tell that this is the last weekend before school starts. You know. (laughs) uh, One more fling to the beach or whatever. So, uh, But we want to, I'm not going to take action on this this morning, but let you know that throughout the month of August, uh, we want to raise their moving expenses. And uh, we want to task us with the, do we have anything else we're going to put up there? No? Okay. Then we'll do it this way. I'll get this right. No, there we go. Um, We calculate their moving expenses to be about $1,500. And, uh, you know, for the truck and the gas and all that. So that's not hard. You know, 15 people, 100 bucks a piece, or 30 people, 50. It's easy to do the math, but I just want you to pray. And throughout the month, we're going to receive a couple offerings where you can just drop something in the box. We're going to believe God to cover their moving expenses. And... uh, they're blessed by that. It's not something they expected. And so that's a good way to start. Start blessing them on the way in. Amen. Receive them as a blessing and bless them as they come. So that's what we're going to do through the month of August. And then gather on the 13th. And they might be with us in the services on Labor Day, but they might just be worn out. And just let them sleep in in their new house, wherever that is. If you've got a house you want to give them, just please let me know. <laughs> last call, last call, Ladies. The women's gathering. How many of you go to the women's gathering? (laughs) Well, there's a sample. If you need to register, or you'd like to, or even if you need a sponsorship to get in, uh, we can still do that today or this week. So you can see those wild and woolies there (laughs) in that row, and there's still some of these out on on the in the hallway. Lynn, yes. would you uh, give us the good news on the on the school? You know, you know. And as he's coming, come on up. And I, w- I want to say this: you wouldn't know this, but I have had these on my desk since spring. <laughs> and uh, these came to me. This is the catalog for Abeka Christian Curriculum, and the catalog on CD for the school. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I get stuff like this in the mail, and sometimes it just goes in the file. Uh, but I put these on my desk, and I thought, Lord, there must be a way. There must be a way. You know, still that hope for Christian schools. So,
1: can, can I borrow those? You can borrow those. <laughs> Let me uh,
0: find. Is that?
1: Uh, I called, uh, and you answered, and saying, and I just have something to share that is exactly what happened this week um, for Julie and myself. Good morning. Are you? Yeah, you're all there. (laughs) Uh, I called, and you answered, and uh, that's something that Julie and I experienced uh, this week. In the past, I've been able to start up or help start um, three schools, and because of that, uh, a group that wanted to start a school here on the mountain came to me and asked if I would just help them over the summer for recruitment and to get things started. And uh, the school will be located at Singing Pines Lodge over by the Chevron Station on the other side of town. Oh, good. Right, you've seen the flyer. And uh, so I was just working with them, and the plan was to do a K1, and then I talked them into K3, uh, seat time, uh, five days a week, six hours a day. And enrollment was going okay. And then uh, I really felt like the Lord was impressing upon Julia and myself to consider uh, grades four through nine in an independent studies kind of a program. And I mentioned that to the two owners. They've been actually active, very active here in the co-op, Adam and Terry Lynn Bodison. And uh, they have a couple of successful businesses uh, here on the mountain. And they just felt like they were led to purchase Singing Pines Lodge, which uh, they have done. They're signing papers tomorrow to close escrow. And uh, they're gonna do some remodeling. Uh, It's a little bit old and needs some uh, refurbishing. And uh, so anyway, as as I mentioned it to them, they they were excited about the possibility of doing K-3 seat time and then independent studies for grades four through nine. And uh, Julie and I prayed on Thursday and uh, we had no students at all for the independent studies portion. Since then, the phone has been ringing off the hook. And. It really was the situation of uh, I called and you answered and we called. And I got a call uh, this morning for three potential new students. I have a meeting uh, today around noon that I have to go and meet with the parent. Uh, I got a call Friday morning after we prayed on Thursday. Someone that I hadn't talked with for weeks called and said, I have a couple of students who need something on the mountain. Can you help us out? Since then, we've had almost 30 potential students for independent studies, grades four through nine. The, the neat thing about this, and that Pastor Jeff just gave this to me, is we have approval to do a BECCA curriculum. Uh, so it's going to be a Christian school curriculum. And uh, we have the facility we have the CUP. We have fundraising coming out our ears. Uh, the school is financially sound, much more so than the previous Christian school that was here on the mountain. So it's just a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, it's going to start uh, August 31st, so it's a little bit later. But uh, shortly thereafter, we will be going along with the Bear Valley calendar. Uh, we're going to miss, I think, one of the weeks of Christmas and then another week. But otherwise, we'll be following their calendar. So it's just a a great thing. If you know of some families that might be interested, uh, it is a Christian school curriculum, so uh, you want to keep that in mind. Also, uh, we will be following the state standards. You can find those on the uh, state standards uh, website. Also, if you go to uh, scholastic.com, it's there as well. Well, So we'll be following the state standards, so the kids will be exposed to uh, everything that they need to get. Um, as far as curriculum and the standards that they need to finish out the year. Um, one final thing, if any of you are interested or you know of a teacher, there's a good chance we're gonna need another teacher. Yes. I a question, yes. Um, before I answer that question, let me just give you a little bit of information. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, private, private schools are not required to have state credentialed teachers. I'm credentialed uh, K through 12 and have 32 years uh, in education. Um, but we do not have to have uh, state um, credentialed teachers. The, the other thing to keep in mind is, and I always like to ask this question uh, is it working? In public schools, is it working to have state credential teachers? 62% of the students in California are below grade level. And I verified this with Bear Valley. Uh, I went to uh, one of the administrators. I said, I read this in the newspaper. Is that true? And he goes, oh, yes, that's true. 62% of the students are below grade level in California, which is horrendous. In fact... Um, I got a call uh, recently, and that was one of the moms concerned. I'm pulling my two kids out of public schools because they're not at grade level. The job is not being done. Yes? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Very, very good. (laughs) So is it working? The answer is uh, yes, it works with some, and others it does not. There is one, um, and research shows this, uh 70s, 80s, 90s, and the O's, the research that has been done about what is the one determining criteria for success in school. It's not money, it's not teachers, it's not administration, it's not facilities. Uh, you, You can think of all the kinds of things. Is it technology? No, it's not that. Every single decade, the answer has always been the same, parental involvement. And that's one of the things that this new school is going to emphasize um, we will be having an educational plan for each and every student, based upon Proverbs 22:6, which says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." What the verse really means in the Hebrew is, "Train up a child, or bring up a child according to his bent," and it's referring to the bent of a twig or a branch on a tree. That's the God-given design for each child: the talents, the abilities, the interest the strengths and the weaknesses for each and every child. It's the primary responsibility of the parents to bring the child up according to those interests, abilities, strengths, uh, and weaknesses. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna sit down with each of the parents and the student after an assessment and just figure out, okay, what is this kid good in? Well, he's really good in math, okay, so we're gonna place him two grades above. He's struggling in reading. And so we're gonna work with that child, especially, I remember one one particular girl, a fourth grader who read at the second grade level. After six weeks of phonics, she was up to grade level, but she needed that extra help. So we have that kind of freedom to come up with an individualized plan for each student. And the school, one of the strengths of the school, and uh, we have some brochures for you if you're interested, is parental involvement. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Like before okay thank you
2: how many of you know Hannah Schmidt yeah and she's right over here I'm putting her on the spot and um, how many of you have been blessed by her gift in worship praise God and I'm, um, she's going to be leaving us to go to college within the next month. So we have some time yet to enjoy her and to bless her. And so we're putting together a benefit ensemble for her like we did for Jonathan. I don't know how many of you guys remember that. But I'd like to invite you to come. And I've got flyers back there on the table. We'll have some music and some desserts. And Hannah will give a speech. <laughs> she's just going to tell you what she's going to do and what that's going to look like so that we can supporting her in prayer and that's the biggest thing we want to show her how much we love her and how much we want to support her so come be part of the night and uh, pray with us we're going to pray over her after she's done telling us what she's doing so that, that's your invitation and there's uh, back down there the table
0: did, did i miss the date well it's on here <laughs> <laughs> thursday August the 13th, yeah. 7 o'clock. Thank you. Sometimes it's just that I'm not paying attention. All right. I'll let you know that uh, we are, this is just kind of a in-your-face statement, but uh, without a lot of discussion, you can talk to me if you need to later, but we're going to forego, postpone, try to find the right words so you get the right feeling, take a break from our Saturday night services until the first weekend in October. We're just going to take a break and uh, regroup. This has to do with all of what we do with kids' zone nursery, worship teams, and the services themselves, the celebrations on Saturday nights until we can regroup. That also gives us time to embrace the Hastings getting here in September and getting him on board and and lining some things up. And so we'll be looking towards the first weekend in October to uh, establish whether or not we need to continue a second service, if it should be on Saturday night or Sunday or Friday or whatever. So be in prayer about that. But from now through October, no Saturday night services. And postscript. Some of you, when you leave here or you think about it while I'm preaching, probably, Uh, You'll be devising things to do on Saturday nights here. You have to see me about that first. (laughs) Don't start something, okay, Uh, without letting me know about it. i appreciate it, especially if it involves the building, okay? So don't just go, oh, we'll do this on Saturday nights now. Uh, We have those that that need the Saturday night service, and this is going to uh, slow them down a bit. And so we may need to... Build a cell group that meets on Saturday night for them that actually work on Sunday mornings and can't be with us. So we are trying to be accommodating and kind to those that this affects, but that's where we need to go for for a few weeks. Okay? No one said okay. 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 But, <laughs> <a> rousing response <laughs> of the Sunday morning crew here today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can start looking for the Book of Hosea. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Hosea. Just kidding. It's after Daniel. I think I made it through all the stuff. I greeted her. Yes. And, and for those of you who are rejoicing with us, that Anita is here in service with us. She threw us a scare. But it's, she taught us to pray this week. Amen. And you feeling good? I'm feeling better now. I came in feeling a little bit ill, but I'm fine now. Okay. The, the of the presence of the Lord was there to heal. Amen. Good. To God be the glory. Mm-hmm. Um, forgive me if I bore you with this, but I may just need to read what I wrote so that I can get it right. <clears throat> Not for the whole message, just for this first part. It is the concern of pastors to edify their flock, building up the people. According to Ephesians chapter 4, equipping them to do the work of ministry. Our task is to oversee, to guard, to guide, to govern, to feed, to preach, to teach, and to lead. Those are the descriptive phrases used in the New Testament for those who are called to be shepherds. In John chapter 10, the Greek word poimane, which some would def- try to defeat the word itself, and uh, say, well, there's no real substantiation for pastors uh, in the New Testament. But this is where the word comes from, poimain, shepherd. As Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they follow me, and they won't hear another. They know my voice. And so this is kind of one of those passages where the word pastor comes from. Ephesians 4:12 talks about it. And when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. That gets into a squabble too because for years it's been called the five-fold ministry. Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But if we go into the Greek, and we use even like Kenneth Wiest, we'll find that pastor-teacher may be one element. And so now we've got a deformed hand. <laughs> uh, in fact, in overseas ministries, when you step up and go through an interpreter, say in you know, Central Europe or uh, Asia and you say five-fold ministry they begin to scratch their head. The interpreter is not sure how to interpret that because it's not a commonality in every nation as we read the scriptures. Nonetheless, it is the concern of pastors to equip the saints that you might be edified and built up according to that word. The word edification means it's like building uh, the twin towers or any other superstructure. super being above the earth you need a, a structure that's below the earth, equal to the task of holding whatever's above, right? So you have a, a, an infrastructure, you have a, a lower structure. Edification in this word in the Greek means that we're going to dig down very, very deep into life and begin to build a foundation that can hold whatever God wants to build above the surface in your life. Those things that others see about you needs to be representation only of the strong foundation that's in your life. And so the concern of pastors is to build apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Uh, Chris Clock as uh, the evangelist for our tent meetings last week. I uh, had this same concern that the church be edified, to be built up, so that you are then equipped to do the work of ministry. Because of Linton's uh, announcement this morning, and I rejoiced at that, uh, one thing he didn't say as he stood here and talked about the school, is that the school now has highly, a, highly, highly, qualified leadership in Linton Whaley and Julie Whaley. And of, of course, he would not say that about himself, but but if you get to know him and know his background, when he says 32 years in education, I mean I had that too, but that was just to get out of high school. <laughs> Most people do it in twelve. It took me thirty two. <coughs> no but uh, it's true there's a depth uh, that he's going to draw from they draw from as a couple uh, that is going to be a real strong asset for the school and, and I would point at him not just to flatter him but to say <clears throat> here's a man who's been edified by his participation in the body of Christ over all these years and out of that edification there is a structure in his life that he now moves into the world as salt and light and becomes effective becomes effective and affective Begins to affect those people around him. Begins to build up others. And that's our call as Christians, is to be disciples of Jesus and to disciple others. So it's a concern of mine that we uh, are continually edifying and building up the body of Christ. It is not, I wrote two paragraphs, it is and it is not. It is not the direction of ministry to pursue each problem of society at length, but rather to concern itself with the preparation of believers as I've just said to enter the world as salt and light to affect their world it isn't the ministry's responsibility to change all the ills of society it is the church's responsibility to be salt and light and as you go into the world you affect it and you make the changes you are the deposits as I'm looking through the room I'm thinking of all the you know I think of Bonnie and her role at At uh, Operation Breakthrough, John Day on the CSD board. If we could just begin to pick others, you and your, in your work environment, God has placed you there as salt and light to truly affect where you are. In your homes, in your schools, on your jobs. We're, the church's responsibility, edify. The body's responsibility is to minister. And we've got to get that in place. Constantly working on it. Um, For example, when I say it's not the direction of ministry to pursue each problem of society at length, uh, I have here the printout that many of you are highly concerned about this week, President Obama's health care plan. This is not the whole thing. This is 10 pages of summary of over a 1,000-page document. And I just highlighted a few things to bring it to the surface of our our conversation this morning. Uh, Section 122, your health care will be rationed. Uh, page 42, the Health Choices Commissioner will choose the benefits for you. You have no choice. Uh, by the time we get to page 50, health care will, will be provided to all non-United States citizens. You know, turn the page. Just, these are just quick sentences on different page after page. By the time we get to page 203, this is a funny one. It's unfortunate that it's in the document. But it says, quote, the tax imposed under this section shall not be treated as tax. (laughs) End quote. The tax imposed under this section shall not be treated as tax. And then their comment says, yes, it says that. There's one, I'm not sure I can find it while I'm looking here because I didn't highlight it, but it said that the government will uh, be in charge of new Quality for health care. The subnote says, Since when has the government been very good at quality? Uh, it, this is the scary pages when you get to section 1233. Government mandates advance, parentheses, death care planning, consultation. Think this senior citizens and end of life. End of life counseling, someone in the administration. Uh, so, excuse me, some in the administration have already discussed rationing health care for the elderly. The government provides approved list of end of life resources to guide you in death. Advanced care consultation, quote unquote, may include an order for end of life plans from the government. And no. all well, the older people say, that's scary. Yeah, because you're close to it. Jill. having mm-hmm. my daughter in the Navy and just getting out, the health care has changed so much. It's so limited. Even when you're in the Navy, you don't get into that. And the beds are coming back and they're getting nothing. So this is the type of medical we're going to be looking at. Yeah. 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 The government will decide what level of treatment you will have at end of life according to preset methods, not individually decided. So you'll get a a group plan for euthanasia. You know, and it's just, there's pages and pages, ten pages of that. And uh, every, every Christian organization, every Christian political action committee that I subscribe to has filled my inbox this week. And yours too, right? And some of you have decided to forward me yours. <laughs> Thank you very much for the reading. You know, everywhere from uh, Rick Joyner down to you name it, everyone is freaking out. Okay? To use a weird phrase. You know, I, I must say that I, I feel about myself, and I may be fooling myself, that I have rarely missed an opportunity to present something. Uh, to point out the various issues that collide with our faith over the years, whether it's been abortion, euthanasia, same-sex marriage, child abuse, elder abuse, the poor, the needy, the homeless, domestic violence, all these. You know, they've come to the surface, So we've talked about them here as a congregation from time to time. We've taken action on lots of things. But hear me now, I must insist, and I wrote this out for myself, I must insist that we get focused on the main event. You know, please continue to wave your cause's banner, write to your congressmen, your senators, march if you must, participate in civil disobedience as conviction leads. But if we are not praying in repentance and sincere supplication to God to move in the middle of all these things, then we are not focused enough to be the voice of change. If we are not praying. Ted Rose Jr., who will be here in a couple of weeks. Said to me recently, said, We cannot represent someone that we do not spend time with. We cannot represent someone that we do not spend time with. Now, last night we had a prayer meeting here. Basically, we had a great kind of interactive and we used the cross and had a slightly postmodern event uh, where we put the cross in the center of the room and we made circles out of the chairs, two circles concentric around the cross. And we took turns holding the cross in the center of the circle as we prayed. We didn't follow any particular pattern or any you know, specific subjects for prayer. We just prayed. And we prayed, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. I remember Armin Gesswine saying to me, this is probably the most powerful prayer you can pray when you don't know how to pray. It's simply pray, Lord, Luke 11... Teach us to pray. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray even as John taught his disciples. And then we want to kind of uh, put, draw a box around the next passage. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as his name. Amen. And we go, oh, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. I have a tie in my office right now. It's a gift I got this week that has the Lord's Prayer on it. Right down the middle. I should have worn it this morning. would have fit the message. But... I'm not saying, quick, let's grab the Lord's Prayer and say, that's how he taught us to pray. Let's pray that prayer over and over and over. Some of us grew up in that climate. Repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. I can see it as a model. It's the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples in response to their request, the Lord, teach us to pray. And it's been used over the years and split apart and all the subjects drawn out of it. And it's, it's, it's all there. But we want to compartmentalize prayer as an activity often that says, I do prayer like I do my grocery shopping or like I go to work. And we want to compartmentalize lots of us and draw uh, a segment of our life and say, this is my prayer life here in this box. And when we go to pray, I'm I'm probably not talking about anybody but myself this morning, right? Uh, When we go to pray, we want to get down the list and we have a certain amount of time that we have slotted for getting down the list. And sometimes we find that those things at the end of the list don't really get as much prayer as the ones on the top of the list, so we might shift the list a little bit. And, and we get into this roteness of prayer when what the Lord is guiding us to is relationship. Last night around that circle, I said, what is prayer? What does the Bible teach us about prayer? And to me, and those of you who were here last night, you'll relate to Bill who was part of a men's retreat that came to our service last night, a whole truckload of guys. They come once a year. I thought, wouldn't that be something? They came on the one Saturday night when we were going to postpone Saturday nights the next week. But here they were, the men's retreat, and they're getting to be our friends. They come every year when they're up here for their weekend. And Bill, the most unlikely looking, the roughest in the crowd, opens his heart immediately in answer to the question, what is prayer? And says, that's when I just... Talk to God, and I opened my heart, and I let him shape me into the image of his son. I thought, I vote for Bill. <laughs> I mean, there were other answers around the circle, but in my heart, I was accumulating something. I was saying, I, I almost took the group there at the end. I almost said, okay, now of all the things we heard about prayer, and the way we prayed, and holding the cross, what was the highlight but I didn't want to put anybody else on the spot. But I was answering the question. And I went to Bill afterwards. I said, you, I want to be like you. Bill, I'm not flattering you. I just want to honor you that your heart's right. That's when I just talked to God. Now, he didn't say, that's when I talk to God from 8 to eight 30 and squeeze him into my busy schedule. He said, that's whenever I talk to God. I'm opening my heart, saying, conform me to the image of your son. Work in me whatever it is you want to work. Let me have relationship with you, not religion, not roteness, not a list. I'm on a quest personally in the month of August with us as a congregation to learn to pray. Is that alright? So if you don't want to learn to pray, take August off. In fact, even though we've postponed the Saturday night services starting next weekend, next Friday is prayer first. It's our Friday night to gather and pray i'm loving prayer first on the first friday of the month i need to draw close to jesus it is the main event it's been i've said this before it's been very clear from the beginning of the year that god is calling us to pray individually corporately and in cells as families in our lighthouses And I ask the question, how are we doing? Well, when you ask that question, you can get lots of different answers because of the individual moment. When I ask how are we doing corporately, I delight in those moments when we've been together for prayer, as I mentioned earlier, in national days of prayer, call the fall, a meeting in the park. In those moments when we have gathered to pray, on the way out, it is consistently the same. Somebody's tugging on my sleeve saying, when are we going to do this again? Even as, you know, the call to fall, National Day of Prayer, the Global Day of Prayer, these are things that we've been doing, not just as events, but as callings and responses to the heart of God when he said, Come, pray, seek my face, call on me, and I will answer. We sang it again this morning. That, for me, early in the year, that song was kind of a theme song moment. I called, you answered. God was saying to us, Call unto me, Jeremiah 33. Call unto me, and I'll show you great mighty things which you don't know yet. I'll unfold things for you, but you have to call unto me. And this is constancy of the Spirit of God speaking the same thing to us now for almost uh, two-thirds of the year. Now, you might not do this, but I'm analytical enough to do it. and I'm beaver enough to do it, if you will, uh, that I have a, a, a document that all I've done is put the dates of the weekends and the message titles for the whole year. And every now and then I pull it up and I look at it. And I go, my goodness, look where he is taking us. See, we're following. We're sheep. He's leading. We're following. And I, I, I can look at those titles and where we've talked and what God has spoken to us all the way through the year. And it's leading us to this one place of intimacy with him. Out of that, whether it's worship or prayer. And I do want to distinguish between the two. Whether it's either one, it's to bring us to intimacy with God. So glad you're here. <laughs> All three of you. Uh, I had an awakening moment with Chris Clark last week when he said, he, you guys know who Chris Clark is? Most of you yeah. the tent guy, right? Very Pentecostal. Yes. <laughs> Declared very Pentecostal. <laughs> and we had some great conversations and he said I am Pentecostal not charismatic because he was trying to figure out what flavor we were
2: <laughs>
0: what flavor are you and I stumble all around it and well we're the kind of you know well Assembly of God Foursquare we're in the middle somewhere and you know I try to define it often jokingly say that we're not plain vanilla we're sort of chocolate malted crunch or something <laughs> and, you know what flavor are we <clears throat> He says, Man, I am Pentecostal, not charismatic. I said, Well, what is the difference? How do you define that? He said, The Pentecostal movement was all about the altar and prayer. So the charismatic movement is all about worship, but they've lost the altar. And and we've grown up in the charismatic environments. And so it's not uncommon for us to go, Well, yeah, what's wrong with that? That's why we cut our teeth on worship, singing, waving our banners. And enjoying the presence of God. But when there's a call to hit the altar, as Chris Glock would say, that's where you go to do business and you don't get up till you're done. They used to say in the Pentecostal movement, you pray through before you get through praying. Pray through, not get through praying. Makes a difference. That the altars where change occurs, at the altars where we lay down everything at the foot of the cross, and we pound it out until we know we're fully surrendered before we get up and move on. And at the foot of the cross, we're saying, "God, now that I've surrendered all, and I've given it all, and I've wrestled it out, now fill me with the Holy Spirit and send me out." And I'm kind of liking the distinction right now that we, it's I love worship, I love singing. You know, I do. I like it i I have to check during the worship service to make sure the mic's not on. Because I don't want you to hear me going off. Because I go off. I just have fun. But I, I I don't know that we've been birthed in the environment where when the call to pray and hit the altar evokes the same response from my heart. It's easy to sing. It's easy to be melodious. For some of us, I understand some of you are challenged in the singing department. You know, you're more the joyful noise people. <laughs> and you qualify. The Bible says it's okay. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. But all of us can pray. God has made everything that's important approachable by everyone. You ever thought about it? Everyone, rich, poor, big, small, doesn't matter your color, everybody can pray. Doesn't matter if you're mute. Sign language, whatever. Everyone can pray. God made it approachable to everybody. When you think about tithing and giving, God put it on a percentage scale and said, tithing is 10%. Tithe means 10%. A tenth. So it doesn't matter if you make a dollar or a dime. Or a hundred million dollars. It's still the same for everyone. It's the same approach. Worship. Access to the Father. Jesus went through for us, tore the veil in half, and said, now everybody can come in. No one is restricted. In fact, so much so that when Jesus was uh, talking about the two guys in the temple, right? The, the, wasn't it the, the, the Pharisee and, the, and the, uh, t- the other guy? What was the other guy? You know, one's over here saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like him. And the other guy's saying, beating his breast, saying, Lord, I don't deserve to be here. Which one breaks through? Hallelujah. Hosea chapter 5, let me read chapter 6, I told you to turn there. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us. On the third day He will raise us up, that we may live in His sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain like the latter and the former rain to the earth there's a conversation happening here at the top of my chapter heading it says a call to repentance come let us return to the Lord depending on which commentary or research you use they're going to say these couple of things one is it's a conversation of the Israelites saying to one another come on let's return they've been astray let's go back Others would tell you in commentary, or their view of this, is that it's the prophet himself giving an encouragement, an exhortation. Come on, let's return. Either way, it's the same outcome. So it's not necessarily important who's having the conversation. It's that the conversation is being made. Now back up with me in chapter 5. It says, Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment. Because you have been a snare to Mizpah, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. And now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. And they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. Basically, Israel, Ephraim, and Judah are talking about all of the tribes of Israel. The two tribes of Judah, the ten tribes of Israel, also referred to as Ephraim. So it's not like there's three necessary parties. Or really, the whole of Israel is being talked about. Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord. Listen to this. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord. For they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah. The trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at beth Aven, Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them. Who's talking here? God is talking here. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Therefore I will be to Ephraim like a moth, and to the house of Judah like rottenness. You know, in this judgment moment, the issue that they're facing is that they were falling back to their own human precepts. They were leaning on themselves. They were looking to themselves for their own wisdom and fixing. God says, if you're going to lean on yourself, then I will be to you like a moth. What does a moth do? It eats away slowly right to the house of Judah like rottenness rottenness wastes away slowly until it's spoiled now look look at the response when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob yet he cannot cure you even in their moment of rottenness and eating away they ran to somebody else for help They ran to their enemy for help. You and I often will find ourselves running back to the world, running back to our old ways, running back to old things that used to solve problems. They can't cure you nor heal you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. All of that then leads to the portion we read. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days... He will revive us on the third day. He will raise us up. This two days and three days is a a, a phraseology used by the Israelites often through scriptures and in regular life where two days and three three days was alluding to a sudden movement. It wasn't going to take long for it to happen. It wasn't a predictive of necessarily Jesus rising from the dead in three days or being calculable two or three days. It just meant that in a short period it's going to happen in two and three days. That we may live in his sight. So let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. Last weekend, the Lord allowed me to deliver a prophetic message. This is what it said, thanks to those who typed it out. There has been a tearing, a ripping, and destruction. The enemy has come against you. I have come as Jehovah Rapha to mend up, to heal, to repair, and to restore. For the enemy has run havoc in this community, but I am coming to bring my peace and my restoration into you. I will. You've wondered in your mind and in your heart, Lord, where are you? Don't you see the destruction made against me? Don't you see, Lord, the suffering that I'm having in my body and my life? The Lord says, I'm very close to you. I'm upon you. And this day I will bring restoration to your life. This morning we heard again a prophetic movement by our sister saying, the Lord's saying, I've, you, you know, you've, things are fouled up. I've got you in the palm of my righteous hand. The Lord said, my question is this. Would you lift up your face to me? Would you lift up your hands to me? Would you surrender your heart to me? I want to move in you. I want to move in my body. I want to begin once again to take dominion in this community. I cannot do it by any other means than my body, the church. Will you surrender? Will you sanctify your life? Will you set yourself apart for the task that is ahead of you? The Lord will speak to you clearly. I can mend you and restore you. I can make you whole. I begin this day. All of this rests upon you. The yielding, the giving over, and the surrender. Put your hands, put your hearts, put your lives in my hands, says the Lord, and I will do it. There's a a reminder there that we have an individual responsibility to yield, to surrender. It's up to us, that part. All of this part is up to us. The yielding, the giving over, and the surrender. I wanted to take this prophetic word to the scriptures. And when I did, I come to Hosea. And I see that, I don't want to confuse us here. With the prophetic, last week as it was coming, I, I saw the tearing, I saw the ripping, I saw the, the, the difficulty involved in that. And I, I alluded it specifically to the enemy and his running, you know, as the Lord was unfolding that to me, the running havoc in the community and in the church and how he was tearing and ripping and shredding in every direction. And it was bearing witness to the word a few weeks back about the plowing and the issue there. And so it all rang in harmony to me, but when I read this, I began to see that the Lord said, I will be like a lion too, and I will come in and I will tear, and I will, I'm going to tear, and then I'll go back to my place, and I will wait until they seek me. This is the voice of the, of the Lord again to us, seek him, seek him. To seek this definition, to seek, to, to diligently look for, to search earnestly until the object of the search is located can apply to seeking a person or an item or even seeking a goal. It occurs more than 200 times in the Bible. Peace is to be searched for earnestly. The Lord's face, that is His presence, must especially be sought. And that's the quest I believe God wants to put us on. we've been talking about it all year but we haven't arrived evidently maybe some of us have maybe you would congratulate yourself privately and I know if you had arrived you would congratulate yourself privately because pride wouldn't be an issue but I feel like I'm still on the quest I feel like you know that scripture that says when you seek me with your whole heart that's the day you find me I want to find and walk with constantly the Lord Jesus Christ. These processes of relationship with God in our lives will hold us in a strong biblical worldview no matter whose health care issue pops up, no matter what the latest problem is. It is not our, you know, the church can be responsive collectively and nationally and internationally. It can respond collectively and cause influence in the earth, but not if the body of Christ isn't edified, not if the body is sporadic, and just uh, politically driven or cause-driven. We must be driven by a good, strong, biblical worldview, everything screened through the Scriptures, and be in close relationship with the Lord, the head of the church. And when he says move, we move. When he says act, we act. When he says don't, we don't. When he says pray, we actually know how to. And, And if we are not finding ourselves in a position of repentance right now, and standing in the gap for our nation... Standing in, in, our, in the gap for the failures of the body of Christ. There's no other hope, friends. We must come to this. There is no other hope for anything in the earth except for the body of Christ. God has elected to move in the earth through His church. Jesus isn't going to come back on His own, straighten everything out. He's going to work through the church, His body. That's you and me. And when He calls us to pray, He, he must have a purpose. Right? He must have a place of breakthrough that he's looking for. There is something that he wants to do. And it's going to come as a result of our intercession. And our willingness to gather and to to repent. I've often asked the question, how many times can I repent before the outpouring comes? I, I don't know the answer. How about using the acronym PUSH that people like for prayer? Pray until something happens. Push. Pray through. Don't just get through praying. Pray all the way through until you've reached the hem of His garment and drawn virtue from the Son of God to bring the miracle you need collectively and individually. If we learn how to do it individually, then getting together collectively and doing it corporately as a body won't be difficult. So God, take us on a journey. Lord, lead us. In this, praying, teach us to pray. Lord, lead us back to the altar. If it has to be, you know, some don't like the definition, that's okay. Lead us to the altars of Pentecost. Just lead us to the altar. Get us back to that place where it's filled with blood and where I meet with Jesus. And the blood covers. And I'm redeemed and reconciled and become a true child of God that has access and can pray in Jesus' name and things change and things happen people are set free and life comes does this sound at all appealing to you today? I'll have two more pages for another day maybe three I do want to caution you on something. I think this might be the wrong crowd to address this to entirely, but this. by show of hands before we're done here today. How many of you have a, a MySpace or a Facebook? Okay. How many of you have a cell phone? How, leave your hands up if you text. We, I'm beginning to think that we live in what I'm calling overfilled emptiness. Overfilled emptiness. Social networking. How, I, I wish Jesus had a Facebook or a MySpace, or I could text him. He doesn't need a Facebook. Now listen to this. Listen to this. July 21st. This is in a bunch of newspapers, this happens to be one. California teenager announced the creation of an iPhone application called A Note to God, which allows users to send their prayers into cyberspace. Alan Wright, 17, of Fair Oaks, said the program was selected from 20,000 proposals to be marketed by Metal Mobile, a Los Angeles company developing iPhone apps to sell on its website. Wright, a junior at Del Campo High School, said the inspiration for the program came to him while he was feeling lonely. If you want to send a message and you don't have anybody to talk to, you could send a little prayer, he said. Metal Mobile co-founder Andrew Moulton said, the company expects the application to be extremely successful. It's so simple. It's brilliant. The company said that prayers can be read by other users of the program, but the only feedback they will be able to give is clicking on the thumbs up symbol. And while you think this might be unique, there are already applications that are available to the Jews to take them directly to the Wailing Wall. So they can pray at the Wailing Wall. They send their prayers via the app. And there's a team on the other end that prints them out, folds them, and goes and stuffs them in the cracks for them. This isn't isolated. People are trying to connect with God in an impersonal way. We have overfilled emptiness. We can't substitute everything in the place of relationship with God. Oh, I'd love to text him sometimes. Why? Because I would hope he would text back. I don't need to send my prayers into cyberspace and have them fall empty into the ozone. I need relationship we need relationship with a living God not Facebooking Him Father this morning we need you help us to move through the stages of building relationship with you Father I pray that you will train us again as your disciples ask teach us to pray teach us that prayer is more than an activity And that it is the foundation of relationship with you. Draw for us the parallels that we need to see to help us to understand it. Show us where we're lacking perhaps in relationship to others. Because we're trying to do it the wrong way. Lord, show us that we have overfilled emptiness at times. Because we have such surface relationships with so many people. Yet we have very, very few intimate relationships. God, we don't want to be those that go bowling alone. You built us. You designed us. You said it's not good for man to be alone. Draw us into community, first with yourself, and teach us how to be in relationship with others. Jesus, thank you for the model that you gave us with choosing the 12. Out of literally hundreds of followers and disciples, you went and you prayed and you selected 12 And you gave them the responsibility for becoming the apostles. But Lord, I see that you were choosing by prayer and by relationship with the Father. You chose those who were to be with you, to live with you, to experience life with you, and to carry on your assignments after your crucifixion and resurrection. And Lord, I see again that even in those 12, there were three that you constantly drew life with you took them in those special moments of alone time with the Father God show us the pattern show us your model draw us into life and relationship in the same way teach us train us edify us build us up Holy Spirit and then turn us loose on the world around us help us to become effectively salt and light in Jesus name and I want us while our heads are bowed and you're thinking about these things to just once again offer your life to Jesus I believe he will accept your offer if you need to surrender something of your life the whole life maybe that's where you're starting you need to give him everything everything You say, Lord, I've fouled up my life. My life is not much good right now. And outside of you, I don't see any other hope. I surrender. I give you my life. For others, it may be a simple thing. Simple to you, but it's holding you back. It's one of those things that's blocking your relationship from going any further with Jesus. He's put his finger on it numerous times. He's spoken to you about it. He's tried to bring correction and you've refused. And maybe on that point the Lord has decided to be like the lion to you in terror and then withdraw, waiting for you to seek Him again. Could you step into that moment and say, Lord, I seek you on this thing. Lord, take it from my life. Destroy it by the power of your Spirit. Break it down so that it cannot live in me. I surrender it to you now. Jesus, take control. And Lord, we thank you that you are powerful. Thank you that you are able. Thank you that you are willing. Receive us, your people. Keep us, as you said today, in the palm of your righteous hand. Teach us to walk it out in your name. Amen.